Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this first episode of a two-part series, learn how CBP is deploying artificial intelligence to support the border security mission and how industry is collaborating to create new solutions and respond to new technology requirements. Featuring Ed Mays at CBP's Office of Information and Technology, David Aguilar, former CBP commissioner, Joshua Gal from CBP's Planning, Analysis, and Requirements Office, and Jay Meal, Chief Data Scientist at SAIC's Artificial Intelligence Innovation Factory. This discussion took place at the annual HSDF Border Security Symposium in Washington, D.C. on December 12, 2023. The way I see this panel, it's the who requires how it's done uh, in the area of AI, ML, the requirements guru here. And by the way, I'm going to push this because uh, he's a Border Patrol agent, but he is actually doing what he does for the entirety of CBP, some of which was just covered a few minutes ago, includes a requirements analysis that he does in his area. And of course, Jay, from industry representing uh, uh, all of you as to how that might uh, be done uh, in order to incorporate into the operations. So it, it we had a little prep session a day before yesterday. There was al- almost way too much stuff to talk about. But, but let's begin with one of the things that I think is critically important here. It is what is known as the accuracy and validity potential of AI and ML. We're in the beginning stages, but it's moving very rapidly. It's evolving very rapidly, giving us a tremendous amount of capabilities and therefore a very powerful tool. So let me, let me begin with the DAC here. DAC, what do, what do you see as some of the challenges coming forth on the concern of accuracy and reliability as we move forward on AI and ML implementation? So, sir, great question. Um, I think the, the real challenge is going to be with data. How do we collect it? What does it mean? How does it fit? Um, one of the things that we always, you know, have a challenge with is how do we link data? How do we ensure that it's reliable? How do we ensure that it's accurate? Um, and you'll see that, you know, in terms of what CBP is doing, um, we've hired a, a chief data officer to start, you know, helping us get our, our arms and minds around the challenge of data, you know, where is that data processed? Is it processed on the edge? You know, is that data moved uh, and processed somewhere in a, in a back-end system? Um, and making sure that, that, you know, any changes to that data are actually changed under, that change exists under some governance. Um, and because it's really critical. Um, without accuracy and data integrity, you know, all things fall apart long-term. So governance, integrity, and uh, utility, bringing value to the operator. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, and, and, and those are all great points. Now to you, Josh. Uh, we operate, we always think of ourselves as an organization that is going to use the capabilities, and that's absolutely correct. But the bigger the, the uh, pool of players, the more powerful, especially AI and ML, is going to become. Sure. So that, to me, translates into... Interagency, international, binational, trinational, multinational. So, some of those challenges, because of the differences in privacy, interest, sensitivities, come into play. How can we start taking a look at that moving forth? 
I think when you uh, when you when you get as many players like that involved with something with something like this, um, with with all the I don't want to say competing interests because I think everybody has the same general interest in solving this. Um, I think it gets down to being able to collaborate and use that term. And you hear that term a lot, but I think there's something that everybody is now starting to functionally understand is that there's a bit of a collaboration tax that exists on you when you do something like that. Collaboration is actually slow and expensive. Um, so being able to do it and be able to facilitate those things right uh, is, is an art and it takes a, you know, kind of a specific person to do that. But I was listening to some of the other speakers that were talking before this. And one of the things they mentioned were the requirements. We talk about you know, requirements, operational, functional, technical, being able to document those things or going off the objectives. But one of the other speakers had mentioned this discussion of a standard. Uh, and one of the things that we've started to experiment with in CBP is using an actual ISO standard um, 21838 for anybody that's ISO standard kind of nerdish out here. Uh, it's basic formal ontology. It's applied ontology. And essentially what it does is it applies context to the machines. So lexicons, people say you need a lexicon. Lexicons are for human beings. That helps us understand words and definitions. Lexicons do not help the computers. Using, using something like that ISO standard to define the words that we care about is going to help the machine understand what it is we're talking about, helps translate our reality as human beings into the machine. Using a standard like that is one method. I'm not saying it's the method, but that's one method for achieving this uh, this interagency collaboration. If we can get everybody to agree on what a standard way to go about doing this is, it makes the collaboration that much faster, that much easier, and I think that much more efficient and cost-effective. Okay. Jay, standards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What part does industry play, should play, or can play. Uh, earlier, we talked about understanding the requirements of the, of the operators. So what's industry's part in standardizing to the degree possible? So I, I think it's earlier, Josh and I were talking, and it's, it's really about understanding the operator requirements, right? Really understanding what's your mission, because they differ from division to division. And that's, you know, for CBP or any of the services, there's going to be different challenges and different problems. There's some there's some underlying similarities uh, in just how we move data, how we tag data, how we define data, uh, but very specific nuances to each particular division. And it's important that industry understands those needs and doesn't come, you know, try a one size fit all capability. Um, I want to go back to the data standards for a minute because I think there's there's two ways to handle this. This is something that. Um, across all of our services, DOD, the IC, DHS, everyone's struggling with. Um, how do we get a common taxonomy or ontology? Uh, and this goes back to also what Dr. Mays was saying. If we're collecting on the edge and we're dealing with heterogeneous data and it's all disparate and there's multiple sensors and multiple systems, how do we make sure that the computers understand that if three different sensors in a particular area are picking up something, that it's standardized so that you can come back and the machines understand that those are all interrelated events, right? So I think part of industry is having, is understanding the mission. The other part is working collaboratively across academia, the government, uh, and and uh, the operations to come up with those standards to then inform the machines on how to make better decisions. Inform machines. Boy, that's... <laughs> I, just, I just got a picture in my head of a Terminator. Inform the machines. So, informing the machines, 
the variances of machines and capabilities, scalability that we have now because of legacy systems and because of the evolution of IT systems, also machines and so forth. Uh, how do you how do we look at integration with existing systems, legacy systems, and especially evolving systems? That uh, last week we we uh, we were a week and a half ago we talked about Moore's law and Wong's law, which has reduced timeframes of IT evolution from eighteen months to literally four to five six months at a time. So. Legacy, existing, and evolving IT capability, the integration process. Well, I think that's a huge challenge, first of all. Um, and, if, and, you know, if it was easy, right, everyone would do it, right? And they would do it well. And obviously, look around, especially a- across, you know, uh, all the services, uh, the whole of government, it's a challenge. Um, but what I will tell you, and I'd like to just take a second look back at um, what Jay had mentioned earlier was that whole machine-to-machine sort of intercommunication. We have the challenges now, right? We actually have, you know, non-human inter, you know, interchanges uh, with machines, um, and we use certificates, right? And you'll see that's a, it's one of the key building blocks of zero trust. Um, so those sorts of integrations are hard, and, and I will also tell you one of the things that with respect to that is, you know, I'm, I also kind of, you know, initiated a lot of the cloud work inside of CBP. When people hear cloud and they hear this sort of work, they hear magic, right? I tell everyone it's solid engineering, it's solid work, and it's one of those things where it takes a lot of creativity and collaboration. And so those are the things across systems that have to happen. Now, everyone all understands, you know, you got to have a common architecture, you got to have a, a, a common understanding of data, but you also, you know, no matter what happens with AI and things, you also have to have really good people that understand what they're supporting, how they're supporting it, and why delivery is important. Um, and I think those are the key takeaways for me, knowing what you're doing, knowing what that end state is, and then building that roadmap to get there. And I would, if I could just add on to to it, um, I, I think I think I think Dak Mays is, is right on. Um, any solution set that industry comes comes up with, one of the things that I'm generally interested in as the requirements person is how does this trace back to the problem set of the challenge that exists in the field? And one of the things I, re- I really want to just sort of push out there right now is if you have a solution, AI, this deity like AI that exists out there, whatever that. Means also people um, think magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's what is it? Technology indistinguishable from it. I don't know. But, but what I would encourage folks in the industry to do is to to not come at the organization with a solution and tell me it's going to solve world hunger, but come at come at it with a solution in your back pocket. Talk to me about problem sets. Talk to me about the challenges that the operators face because they're different between the ports of entry. They're different at the ports of entry. They're different for the pilots. They're different in the trade space. But, but CBP is always willing to talk about this. The problem that ends up happening, just because we've been conditioned this way, is that the solutions come at us and we have to make decisions as of what problems they fix. And sometimes that's square peg, round hole. And I found some people with some big sledgehammers that are willing to put it through that round hole. Uh, but that's, that's not the easy way to do it. It's not the efficient way to do it. It's not the cost-effective way to do it. Having industry understand what it is we face as operators in the field, but not, not even just the operators. There's a mission support side of this whole thing. There's budget 
finance. There's, there's the acquisition process, the requirements process. There's a big strategic planning process that backs up the things that we buy so we can show the American taxpayer you're getting the level of security that you're paying for. Mm-hmm. And it works. And here's how we know. All of that, all of that can be backed up and done by these things. But, but again, it's just the big point, just piggybacking on, on what Dag Mays was saying. Please talk to the organization about problems and challenges. I encourage you to do that. Because that the demand signal that will come out of us is going to be truthful because it's going to be beneficial to the guys and gals that are out there in the field. Yeah, and I'll just so I'll add that this this whole it's a real big problem, right? It's it's a challenge, uh, you know, legacy, current and future architectures. And I think that we need to start moving towards modular open systems architectures, open standards. You know, in the past, we built technologies or we built applications, which was great. They do really highly functional, high fidelity things. But the problem is you had, uh, you know, you came at it with, I need to build a software that does a certain thing. And that software requires a database where data is in a certain format. And that requires some type of a service layer and some piece of hardware and then a place that someone can come and interact with. And we see these systems all over, um, but they don't communicate with each other. So that's the legacy side and, and sometimes the current side. So it's how do we sort of turn that on its head, flip that paradigm, and instead of focusing on, I call them single applications or single software stacks, how do we move towards a modular open system or a single software experience? So what do I mean by that? The operators themselves see it as a single experience and they're interacting with the machines. It doesn't feel like they're jumping from system to system or screen to screen. But instead, what's behind that, what powers that is essentially a common data layer, right? Where all of the heterogeneous data can move into as necessary, you know, promoting fabrics and and meshes, depending on how you want to architect it. A common analytic framework that does the transformations. It does the, the normalization. So another way to look at the ontologies, if you jump back for a second is it's very hard to get everybody the same standard, you know, to call something a particular something, right. Or define it. And so you could use a top down approach where machine learning can actually do that normalization for you. But if we can get to a point where we have that common data layer, we have a common analytic framework, and then we can use some type of, you know, use that that analytic framework like a chassis, and now I can put lots of applications in microservices across it. So the operator themselves sees this integrated system, but they're actually accessing different things. And by separating the software from the data, which is the big key here, now we get extensibility. We can talk about the future. I can pull old applications out and bolt new applications in without breaking all of the pipelines beneath it. So you get this, this interoperability. So something that kind of ties into to what you just said, Jay. Earlier, we had a couple of panels that talked about uh, denied areas, contested areas, degraded areas of communication. So some of the things that we hear about are, for example, uh, uh, secure private networks operating independently out there in Big Bend, for example. Uh, and then the data center up here in Ashburn quickly moving to the cloud. Integrating all three of those, because that's what it would take for an operator to be operating in the Big Bend or the Boot Hill or northern border somewhere, to, to, to have the capability to, by way of a secure private network, have the capability to to operate and utilize AI or machine learning independent of the cloud, independent of the data center, but when required, backhaul what needs to be backhauled in order to get the the universal benefit. How is industry going to address those? So I, I think that 
It's a very good question. I think industry needs to start thinking about, you know, we're all doing big machine learning, right? We're, we're starting to really, you know, deal with heavyweight models that do things like, you know, facial comparison or large language models that we always talk about or some type of object tracking. Um, and to a degree, because storage and compute are commoditized in the cloud or because we can have these big data centers, uh, it seems like actually running inference on these, uh, you know, are easy. But the problem is at the edge, we have to assume that we're going to have no connectivity, or very little connectivity. We're going to have a thin line, essentially. Um, and so what we need to start thinking about in industry is how do we take these really high-fidelity models and how do we take them to the edge rather than bringing the data back? So that means having to start thinking about things like size, weight, and power constraints. How do we do lightweight deployment of these models that doesn't take a lot of computing power so that what we're transferring back is very small amounts of data? So the way, the way I look at it, because it's easy to visualize, um, is if you have a drone that is, you know, doing video coverage of an area, even in a perfect network environment, you don't want to be backhauling the amount of data for, for a live video feed to go get it processed inside, you know, an operations center. What instead you should be able to do is on that platform or on sensors near that platform or on a forward operating area near that platform, you should be able to run the machine learning inference and say, in this five second period or in these three frames or whatever it is, I've identified what you're looking for and send only that information back. And if you think about having to do that in a large scale over, you know, hundreds of miles or, or different areas of, of operation, then you have to start thinking, because again, if you're on a denied or degraded network about prioritization and criticality. So have, that's something else machine learning can do. So not only identify a particular object, but you might have a hundred objects being identified in multiple places. How do you prioritize what's most important for backhauling those small messages. So I think industry really needs to look at these edge architectures and look at how we not only do the inference at the edge, but also how we get the right information at the right time back to the operators. Okay. So if I can interject, you know, and I like to say that we need to have better conversations with industry. Um, uh, we, you know, in our CTO office with uh, our CTO, Sunil Madagari, and some of his team that are here in the room, you know, last year we did something that we call the Douglas Analytics Project, right? Um, now, it was kind of nascent at best, but it taught us a whole lot, you know, and I think we've got a, a, an edge computing paper that's coming out or that's already out um, and um, a data paper. But a lot of that we learned along the way. Right. And we would have loved to have a little more advice. I mean, we actually did, you know, looking at sensors, you know, processing at the lowest, at the nearest to that, you know, where the data was collected, all the way to pushing data back to a, a big back end, you know, major CSP and, and using their AI tools. But, you know, we definitely need help. And I look around the room and I think that's one of those things we'd love to hear from you about your ideas of how we could do it better. You know, uh, sometimes we come at things, you know, I know I do from um, an academic perspective, but there's lessons learned that that industry has garnered from all your interactions with all your customer base from around, you know, the country and internationally. We'd like to you know, leverage some of that to make ourselves better quicker. Chief, if I could just Please. jump in. So I want to just provide some some operational context for this. When you have an agent in the field or, or an officer at the port or a pilot in the air, they're going, they're going through a quick, a very quick cycle. So that this is just, as you develop these solutions or you think about these solutions, think about the cycle that they go through. Um, the initial, the initial part of this is they detect a threat. They either see it or something alerts them that something is there. 
The next step is they identify it. I identify, they say, is it a car? Is it a person? Is it a bird? What is the thing that's out there? And then there's a classification aspect of this thing. How threatening is this item of interest? Then it gets into what we call a track mode. Track is nothing more than read detection over and over and over and over and over again. And when an agent deploys to a detected threat, he's cycling through that constantly. He's wanting to get updates on, on, and these things start to update themselves and they start to get a little, get a little more fidelity and it makes determinations as to how he or she responds because going after uh, a 58 year old grandmother with a two year old child in their arm is different than seven backpackers with AK 47s strapped to them. You're going to change the way you do business based on what it is you've identified and how you've classified those threats. So when you think about edge computing, Let's not forget the machine reasoning side of this thing. If I can turn this into my partner instead of simply a tool, some way, somehow, if I can get this to partner with me, no different than another human or my dog or my horse, um, that's that's going to win it for these guys and gals out in the field. That's that's really one of uh, just just putting that putting it out there so you get an understanding of what agents and officers and pilots, even folks in trade, even you know. An IPR violation is still a detection, identification, classification, and a track. Where's this thing in space and time? And knowing where that thing is up to the minute being, being say, updated a thousand times a second, that's what's going to make us that much better. This yeah. idea of, of, of what I refer to as human-machine teaming. And I'm not building Skynet, Chief, I promise you. So <laughs> I, no, no worries. I, I think that's great. I, so human-machine teaming is a huge passion with what we're trying to do. And, and I think it, you're absolutely right. That contextual reasoning piece is so helpful to help the operator because they might be dealing with not just one thing, but multiple things. And they need to understand, again, how to prioritize what they're going to do, how they're going to spread the limited resources across to complete the mission. Um, and I really think what it does is, is twofold. I think what the machines do, if we can build this you know, utopia human machine teaming, it's not about replacing operators or analysts or anyone. It's about augmenting, right, their workflows. So it's about reducing their cognitive load and what they're having to take in and do the reasoning on themselves. Uh, and it's also about speed to decision, right, as well as force multiplication. Because one operator can do significantly more when a machine is doing what machines do best, which is looking for anomalies, following tracks, finding a signal in the noise, whatever it might be, they tip in queue, and now the operator can act accordingly. And we certainly don't want the machines making decisions no, for us. Don't so, want them making decisions. But I, I would, I would, I would venture. To, uh, I would, I would just say this, Chief. Like when we talk about a partnership between humans and 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 making this, you know, a partner. I think what I, the simplest way I've found to put it, and somebody, somebody is going to correct me this afternoon. I guarantee it. But humans have an OODA loop. You observe, you orient, you decide, and you act. When we talk about machine teaming, I don't want my machines deciding things for me. I want them to have a modified OODA loop where they observe, orient, trigger, and then act to tell me something that I need to know that I wouldn't have known before. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF the podcast on any major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Forum.